Hello and welcome back to The Indie, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, and it's with a heavy heart to announce that today's episode is my last with The Indie Pod. It has been an honor to tell the stories of our community over the past year and a half, and throughout my journey, I've spoken with so many inspiring folks in our community, and I've connected with so many of all of you my listeners, who make this podcast what it is today. I thank you for your continued support of the Indie, and I'm elated to announce that Rebecca Fairweather will be hosting the Indie Pod next. Today's episode is all about the indigenous Chumash people of Santa Barbara and the community's efforts to revitalize their native language. All around Santa Barbara, you'll find streets with Spanish names like Milpas, Chapala, and Pueblo, but there are also some street names that draw from indigenous languages, with names like Anapamu and Yananali. These names come from the first language of Santa Barbara, known as Barbareño, or Alapcoswa, which is a reference to the village in which the reservation was established. Mary Yi is noted as the last native speaker of the Barbareño Chumash language. A children's book called The Sugar Bear Story is a Barbareño Chumash tale, written by Mary that teaches its readers how to be a good host and how to treat pets. Ernestine Ignacio de Soto, Mary's daughter, did the illustrations for the book and is narrating the following excerpt. Listen in to hear how Ernestine tells the story in her ancestral Chumash language. There was someone, and again, that's a picture of a boy with his bear, who had a bear as a pet. He used to come running all the time in a bad mood. That sounds like my cat. Barbareño is part of the Chumash language family, which includes other dialects from San Inez and Ventura. Each language, though related, has its own linguistic makeup, history, and culture. Even within the Barbarino band, each family and each person's relationship with the language is unique. Today on The Indie, we spoke with Ernestine's nephew, James Yee. He is a linguistics master student at UCSB, where studying Alpkoswa has brought him closer to his familial and Chumash roots. The indie reporter Hannah Weaver sat down with James Yee to talk about his efforts to preserve his Barbarino language. Uh, my name is James Yee. I'm a, a fourth year, almost a fifth year student in the Department of Linguistics at UCSB. To start off, could you tell me just a little bit about your family and the Barbarino land? Oh, sure. Well, my family's lived here for a long time in this area. My Actually, my father's mother's side of the family is Chumash and yeah we've lived here a long time. I like to group the families together. I guess there's several different points in time at which we can try to identify who the Chumash are and what the community groupings are. But I like to start from the time when we had a reservation um, at the kind of the corner of Hollister and Modoc Road. And there were families living there together on the reservation. The Ignacio family, which I'm a part of, was one of the families on the reservation. And how did your family, and particularly your grandmother's legacy, 
lead you into these linguistic studies? When I was growing up, um, I often heard my father talk about the Chumash side of our family. He would often talk about my grandmother, but I wasn't really, um, I didn't grow up in the native community, like fully immersed in it. I really grew up just as an American, but I always heard these stories growing up. Um, they didn't really affect my life. It was kind of just like a background understanding of my identity as being Chumash. Sometimes I'd go in our backyard and on the patio, there was like a storage area, a table, and there, I would, there was boxes. And in the boxes were um, notebooks with strange writing on them. And I would sometimes look at them and you would see them like after the rain. So they were in the rain, in the wind, exposed to the elements. Those are actually writings of my grandmother writing in the, the language. The language, by the way, I refer to it as Alap Kaswa, because that references the village on which our reservation was established. It didn't really like strike something deep within me. I moved away from this area for a long time. And when I came back to help take care of my elderly mother, that was when I got involved in um, like tribal leadership and learning about our culture and starting to um, learn about the language. But that at that time, my recollections of what my father used to tell me growing up about my grandmother, like she was the last native speaker or last known native speaker. We don't know who else was a first language speaker after she died. But at that time, looking at this area, looking at the Chumash culture and looking at my identity and the knowledge of what my father had told me growing up, those really like put it in a different context. So it went to a deeper place in me. And then with my background of teaching English as a second language in Japan, that's what prompted me to want to begin studying the language and ultimately, um, I can't say teaching, but organizing language classes. Maybe I teach a little bit now. Yeah, that's so interesting. Could you tell me, and also listeners, sure. maybe some key phrases and pronunciation aspects of Alcasua that make it unique? Sure. So, for example, um, one of the real famous words or phrases is haku haku. So in this language, the pronunciation often, not always, but often comes on the second to the last syllable so it would be haku haku which means it's a greeting we use in our community to mean hello um, another greeting for example um, we use it as a a leave taking expression is kiwatnan kiwatnan so that's when we say goodbye and those are some um, real easy expressions that maybe your listeners would be able to pick up and start using and could you also share a bit about what it's been like working with this language, learning it, and as you said, teaching it somewhat, how has the revitalization process been? For me personally, the first time that I really started to look at the language and want to speak it, it seemed really strange and foreign, which is, um, I think it's a pretty uh, prevalent reaction to the language because over the last 200 years or so, we've become so accustomed to these world-dominant languages like English and Spanish. 
So the sounds and the language of this ancient language of this land have become so removed from our everyday experience that they seem really strange and foreign. So that was my first impression of working with the language. That was something I really had to um, overcome to be able to produce sounds in the language and not sound like I have a, an American English pronunciation, which I probably still do today. But that, um, we were greatly helped in our community by, actually she's my advisor now, Professor Marianne Mathieu. She's an um, expert in Native American um, indigenous languages. So she was, would come to our language class that we established in 2017 and help us out with pronunciation in a really fun way. The other parts were learning like the syntax, how words go together to form sentences. It's not so difficult now for me, but when you're coming from a background of English or even Japanese, which I speak a lot because my wife is Japanese, it does seem really, really different. So those are kind of two barriers we had to overcome when we started the language classes. Um, I can say that the community members that come to language classes, and we don't have language classes always, it really depends on my schedule. I get so busy in this linguistics program that sometimes I don't have time to <laughs> create language lessons and teach the class. But um, it seems like community members that have been coming to our class are becoming more comfortable with the language. Um, so that really, really helps. I think when people acquire that level of comfort with the language, it really gives them a solid, more solid sense of Chumash identity, which is super important for raising their own interest in the language and feeling more embedded in the community and attached to their native heritage and ancestry. But I can say after, so it's been six years since we started our fledgling language revitalization project. And I've heard some people say, well, you guys move so slowly. And I think because I've been really, really busy, I was the chair of our tribal organization for three years. I've been in this program for four years. Yeah, sometimes my availability or my schedule limits how much we can grow. But it seems like now people, especially younger members of our community, are starting to become interested in the language, which is really huge because communities really need that younger generation. I don't know that anyone's learning it a lot in the home or teaching it to their very, very young children. I've heard stories that people are, and that's a really good sign that this language, which is really, really in a state of endangerment, I would say, still. I mean, it could disappear easily within our own, my own particular community. I can, I can see kind of signs of life that it's coming back, that it's becoming healthier. And so are these people who are learning, are they all Babar and Neo Chumash themselves, or is it people from the community? I would say kind of half and half. They're members of our community who are Chumash, but they're also um, our close community friends and supporters who are interested in learning the language. So it's kind of right now um, a mix of half and half, I would say. Gotcha. And I'm also curious, what role do music and songs play in the language, if at all? 
Um, I think historically, and even um, even before the written history, they played a really, really important part. But most of our knowledge of songs and um, even dances, most of that knowledge has been lost already. Like, for example, in the notes of um, J.P. Harrington, who documented a lot of the language, there's thousands of pages of notes. So there are songs that appear in those notes, but we don't know the music, the melody, for example. So it's, yeah, it's been really difficult. And that's a really important question, like, do we create our own songs? And how can we make sure that if we do create the songs that they're staying true to the, the spirit of our ancestors who might have, who made their own songs way back when? Like, how do we stay true to that? And that's been a really, really big challenge, which I haven't been able to address completely. Um, just speaking for myself, I know other members of our community make songs, um, but I haven't ventured into that realm yet. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's no right answer about it. And it's just very personal as well. Yeah, that's a really difficult thing. Um, there is no right answer. I guess we can go to our elders and ask them for guidance. Um, yeah, that's. I think it's really personal to each person. But then I also feel like whatever I do, it will have an impact in the future. Like if I'm taking this role now of teaching the language and trying to bring back the language um, really like what I do now might have impacts like further down the line so I'm always really conscious of that even like making new words in the language like we don't have a word for pink or purple it's like do we make a word for that and how do we agree on it does everyone have to agree in the community and there's just so many questions like, I don't want to change the language of my ancestors too much and make it totally modern. But I guess at some point we have to, like, what's the word for a laptop? <laughs> I guess we'll have to have those conversations sometime. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it's both personal and you want to look to the elders. Speaking of elders, your aunt is has a different relationship to the language. And I think you mentioned to me that she grew up hearing your grandmother speak it so she is better with the pronunciation what has it been like learning the language and being around her i think she's really really happy that at this time in her life that we're we are bringing back the language in our particular community and just a note when i talk about bringing the language back i'm not talking about like me speaking for all of the Chumash people in Santa Barbara and Galita. It's only speaking for myself and then speaking as about my family and our particular community. But I can say my aunt, she seems really, really happy that at this time in her life that people are becoming interested in the language and the language that she heard her mother speak will continue on. I always tease her because I say, well, you have the pronunciation, so you also probably have the grammar and you know the vocabulary. So why am I teaching you? And of course she says, no, 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 that's not right. Um, but she also, um, yeah, she's, she, I, th I think she's really enjoying this time of hearing the language spoken again. And I address her using the 
term that a nephew would use to his paternal aunt, kumuk, means my aunt. Um, just little things like that. I think she seems like she's really happy about that. That's so beautiful. And lastly, I wanted to ask about the different local names that you, you mentioned in your webinar with the Channel Islands folks a few weeks yes. back that you find it important to know the original indigenous names for places and things around this area. So I was wondering if you would be willing to share a few of those local names. Yeah, the names, I think, are really important. Um, I know we have the English names and Spanish names that I've been using all my life, but it's really reassuring and comforting to know that these places do have names by which they were known at a previous time. Places like Anisk Oyopok, this mesa at UCSB where we're at, or Hel Apunitse, the beach where the Bacara Hotel is now. Um, behind me, the mountain, Santa Inez Peak, Senec, Lacumbra Peak, the tallest mountain on these, that little range behind Santa Barbara, which is known as Tip Tip Ship. Lake Los Caneros is very close by. The name before Lake Los Caneros is Alwatalam, Devros Slough, Uxulo, which actually means something like stink water, which it is <laughs> in the summer, even though we're glad it has water. So all of these different places, even if you go to the beach at Campus Point, you can see Sismiku, so that's the big rock that looks like my grandmother described as looking like a wharf. So all of these places, even within Goleta, this immediate area, yeah, they all have a name and a history and events that happened there. Um, some of them are recorded, some of them are not, but just each place is so important, I believe. Thank you for sharing that. And is there anything you would like to add? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm talking about my lang the language of my father's mother's family. Um, it's the language that's been spoken here. Well, it's our beloved and ancient ancestral language that has been spoken here who knows how many years, um, hundreds or thousands of years, of course, going through changes over time. But I'm sure each of your listeners have ancestors um, who spoke perhaps another language and maybe came to this land. And I think it's um, I think it's pretty cool to be able to learn the language of your ancestors, wherever they came from, and investigate who they were, and investigate the stories that you hold in your family. That's what I'm doing now with this language. And I encourage all your listeners to do that as well. They'll be surprised at what they might find, I think. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And very last thing, could you tell me how to say thank you in all Casa? Sure. Um, there's several different ways. It's super interesting. Um, you can say thank you to one person or two or more people. The basic um, thank you we say is Gakinash. Gakinash? Gakinash. Gakinash. Very nice. That's right. Well, Gakinash, James, thank you for Mechtanyu. coming on the Mechtanyu. That means you're welcome. Thank you so much. That was James Yee, a linguistics master's student at UC Santa Barbara who is passionate about the language revitalization of his ancestors.
To learn more, be sure to take a look at our show notes. That's all for this week, and it's been an absolute pleasure to serve the Santa Barbara community as the Indie Pod host. Again, thank you all for your continuous support of the show. You are what makes this podcast so special. From the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent, I'm your host, Alexandra Goldberg, signing off.